we're going to go ahead and, and be on our third part of a series on encountering the beauty of the Lord, encountering the beauty of the Lord. And uh, this morning, as I was sitting there and Rich was preaching, uh, the Lord just began to download me with some thoughts about uh, beauty and majesty. And he's, it's been the number one thing he's been talking to me about lately. And, uh, but even while he was preaching on urgency and prayer, the Lord was speaking to me on beauty and majesty. And I just love how that works. But uh, I want to kind of just work us through this. And I'm going to end up eventually in Psalm 50. You can, you can find your way to Psalm 50, but it's going to take me a minute to get there. And I just want to lay out <clears throat> some ideas that uh, emphasizes our need right now. <clears throat> you know, you, you stand and say, I'm going to preach on beauty and majesty. And a percentage of the people go, oh, cool. A percentage of the people go, huh, I wonder what that's about. And then a percentage of people go, why would you ever talk about beauty and majesty? How weird. And, um, and I understand because I was in the latter group. I always thought, you know, I mean, I, I didn't always think, but I'd never heard. I'd never heard any, me- any message on beauty. Like, be- like you're going to preach on beauty? Why would you preach on such a thing? Give me something that I can use to, uh, you know, navigate the myriad trials of life. You know, don't give me beauty. Like, we have beauty pageants for beauty. Give me something good in church that's going to help me do life. And uh, until I begin to comprehend the biblical emphasis on God's beauty, majesty, and glory, and the necessity of seeing God as He is so that our lives are rightly calibrated through the lens of God and not the lens of our natural circumstances. And God's key descriptions of Himself include beauty, majesty, and glory. Almost, almost exclusively, He says about Himself, beauty, majesty, or, and glory in some way, shape, or form. And so when we're emphasizing beauty, majesty, glory, whatever the word you want to use, we're dealing with the fact that God is the most overwhelmingly glorious, beautiful, majestic one there is in all creation. He's under, I mean, he's he's uncreated. But he lives within the created order. And and this one, he tops the list. He tops the list of anything that's considered uh, beautiful, majestic, uh, glorious. In fact, he's not just preeminent, which would be the top of the list. He's transcendent. That's different. Preeminent means he's he's the most... Of all those things, beauty, beautiful, majestic, glorious. But he's not just the top of the list. He is transcendent. He is of a completely different order. Everything else could be described as beautiful, but he is the one that defines beauty. He is the definition of beauty. He's not simply, uh, you're not able just to simply say of God, God is beautiful. He is the definer of beauty. And so that sends us on an entire journey of understanding that we really actually have very little light on yet. But we're going to have a lot of light on it. And then when we see him, we'll have a whole lot of light. Because he's (laughs) wrapped in unapproachable light. But uh, 
I kind of want to go this direction. I've been throwing around this idea of false beauty, counterfeit or false beauty, and thinking about the key um, fight in the earth for beauty. There's a massive war for beauty, and uh, the concept of beauty is up for grabs in a certain in a certain sense. Not in the sense that God's already established himself as the definer of beauty, not in that sense, but in the sense of what are people giving their heart to. Beauty is under attack in the earth. And here's why. This, this dropped on me this morning, and I thought this was a massively important point. Beauty is under attack because beauty is what inspires worship. Beauty is what inspires the human heart to throw its, you know, all, the, uh, uh, all the barriers away and say, I want, I love, I offer myself to. Beauty moves us like nothing else. And beauty comes through our senses. All the senses are channels by which beauty is communicated to us. We wouldn't know beauty if we, didn't know our, if we didn't have senses. We wouldn't know beauty. Beauty's known through our senses. We have a sixth sense, a spiritual sense. You could say beauty's also perceived through our spiritual senses. And I don't want to go there, but there's probably mirror spirit, spiritual senses as there are natural ones. But that's a side issue for another time. But this idea of beauty is completely under attack. And there's a war for beauty. Uh, because whatever people find beautiful, that's what they worship. And, and so here's, here's the point. There is a war for humanity's worship. Uh, all of human history is, is heading toward two worship movements. Worshiping Jesus or worshiping the anti of Jesus. This thing is going to crystallize with just two worship movements. The worship of the one true God his son Jesus, and the worship of Lucifer and his, for lack of a better word, son. He's not actually his son, but his, his chosen one, Antichrist. This is where all human history is speeding toward. And thus, the fight for beauty is about the fight for the worship of humanity. Do you guys, are you tracking this? And so because this whole thing is about the war for humanity's worship, the issue of beauty is at the top of the list. Because if the enemy can, can allure the heart and the mind, if he can, if he can uh, captivate the eyes and the ears and the senses of a generation in the earth, he can have their worship. You catch that? If he can get people to buy into counterfeit or false beauty as the means by which they gain pleasure, he can have their heart. Because beauty is what inspires worship. And so I'm sitting here just thinking about how the enemy is working to get the adoration of the nation... And he's literally filling the earth with false beauty to captivate hearts and minds. He, he wants the masses to drink 
of broken cisterns. He wants them to drink of polluted wells of beauty and pleasure. And that's really what we see in the earth in a massive way right now. And and this generation, in a huge way in America, is drowning because they are deluged with, I mean, so many uh, opportunities for input of counterfeit beauty. They are drowning in false beauty. And they believe that this is the, the, the means by which to gain pleasure through false beauty. And uh, so there's, it's literally this. In the earth, there's literally a false beauty or a counterfeit beauty movement. And it's funneled through every possible avenue available. Through all the entertainment opportunities, all the, uh, all the materialistic opportunities. I mean, just, you know, I'm talking about fashion and, and, and uh, you know, ownership. Whatever you can own, everything is, is, is literally advertised with the use of beauty. Think about it. I mean, you just don't generally see some um, person that's trying to sell a car and they're hard to look at. Just to put it politely. You just don't see that. Why? Because they're trying to tie your status and your possessions to what they're trying to promote as beautiful and therefore gain your heart and your affection. Now, the enemy is coming at this through many, 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 many channels and angles. It's, it's surprising to me, actually, as I started thinking about it. And so an entire generation is drowning in lust, perversion, and fantasy. Because it is drinking primarily of the streams of counterfeit beauty and pleasure. In some ways, this is one of the most practical and important studies you can possibly do in life because of the massive assault on humanity through counterfeit beauty. I, 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 I mean, I, the more I'm thinking about it, it's, it's just at the top of the list. It's a knowledge of God study. It's who is God. So who is God in, in His majesty? I mean, this is what we're saying. This is, I mean, I, I don't want to overstate. I think it may be the primary one. Who is God? It's probably number one, and then this is a subset of the who is God one. So that would be for sure in the primary, necessary, essential, and practical study the church has to have at the end of the age. Because, beloved, this is where this thing is going. It is boiling down to the question of who do you say that I am? Just like in the first century, the question that Jesus posed to his disciples, who do you say that I am? That question will be the question that everyone on the planet is asked and has to answer at the end of the age. The final question that humanity has to answer is, who do you say that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is? Is he or is he not? And if you've drank from uh, counterfeit beauty your entire life, and you've given your heart to that which is not pleasure and is not true beauty, and you've actually given your affections to the falsehood that these natural means and these demonic entrances are actual beauty and pleasure, how in the world will you be able to stand under pressure at the end of the age and look a demonized soldier or leader or somebody in the face and say, Jesus is truly God. How will you be able to stand in that day if you've drunk from the well of false beauty your entire life? You see where I'm at? This is a big deal. It's a big deal. 
True and false beauty is what's at stake. And, and, I, and I'm looking at an entire generation that is mostly uh, devoid of any thought of real beauty. I mean, truly. I mean, think about our, our 13 to 21 generation. How many 13 to 21-year-olds do you know that are walking around going, I want to gaze on beauty of the uncreated God? No, they're not really saying that. But our girls are saying they want to look like such and such who's on the TV or behind the microphone singing or whatever. And our boys are trying to look like so and so. And the boys want to look at that girl and the girls want to be like that girl. And so false beauty infects both Male and female. In a, in, a, in a different way, the application is different, but false beauty is what captivates both. How many 18-year-olds do you know that are saying, I'm burning to gaze on beauty? In the church. Come on. And I'm telling you, this is a primary issue. It's a premier issue. And the battle for humanity at the end of the age. Because what people see as beautiful is what they will worship. They will give their heart to what they identify as beautiful. And so uh, we see this entire generation drowning in perversion and lust and fantasy. And they're kept from revelation, light, and glory. And I, it just even more burned in me. I want to become a messenger with a touch, at least a touch of real light on me. So that when I speak, light and revelation goes off in the heart of the hearer. And they're rattled from their delusion of counterfeit beauty. And they get a glimpse of the true beauty of Jesus. And if that can happen, beloved, an entire generation can change. If we can get just... I mean, we don't even need a bunch of them. I'd love a thousand. I'd love ten thousand. But if you could get fifty messengers, singers, musicians, proclaimers, intercessors, dancers, poets, movie makers, whoever's fifty with a picture of true beauty, that when they declare their message in the way and the medium in which they use, that men men's hearts are shocked. They come under the shock and awe of God. It would it would it would shift. The culture of an entire generation that's drowning in false beauty. They're drowning in false beauty. Go into the public high school. Go into the middle school. And watch. Every little girl try to look like the girl that's on the screen. And every little boy lust after that girl. Watch it. They're drowning in false beauty. Because we are not declaring true beauty. And almost none of us, me included, I'm on the team, have a real touch of light on us. A real touch of light. So when we speak and we say, he's majestic, something shocks the heart of humans. I want revelation to penetrate people's hearts so deeply that when I say simple phrases, God is glorious, that arrows, I mean javelins from the Lord penetrate the heart and they know they have got to deal with truth. Do you have a vision for that? I mean, the simple outreach. Hey, we're out here praying for people. Can I pray for you? Sure. God, open their eyes, release light and beauty. Shabam! Why not? Why can't we have that kind of effect and influence upon the masses? We can. 
But it requires us to drink of the well of true beauty so we can get revelation of true beauty in our soul and in our heart so that when we open our mouth, faith mixed with light in our soul releases power. I want to destroy the false beauty movement. I, I, I'm, I'm just, I mean, I don't even have means except for, I, all I know is to gaze on beauty and declare. I, don't, I mean, I'm not coming up with some corporate strategy. But I want to so shock people's hearts that we could release influence in a generation that destroys the false beauty movement. Because they get so enamored with real beauty. They don't buy into, I got to look like this. Or they don't buy into, I got to click this so I can see beauty. Come on. I want to see that thing come down. It's, it's false beauty and counterfeit pleasure. But I tell you, there is a day on the way. When the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and the very air will be beauty and pleasure. The very air. But between right here and there, we have got to drink of the well of his majesty, his glory, his splendor. So that we can declare truth and light will hit human souls and unshackle them from the bonds of false beauty. And I thought about the enemy's strategy, and I realized, you know, the enemy, all he has is counterfeit beauty. All he's got. 100% of what he has to offer is counterfeit beauty. And here's the thing. He is not the origin of any supposed beauty. Lucifer is not the originator of any beauty. All he can, all he can offer to humanity is a counterfeit version And he's only working with inherited power. You see what I'm saying? I mean, for lack of a better way to put it, he's he's the energizer bunny. He's running on a battery given to him by God. You comprehend this? He's not the originator of any of it. Surely, surely a people with access to the very throne and the heart of the uncreated God with a better covenant than what Moses had. Surely this people can engage God in a way and manifest something in this age, in this age, of true beauty and majesty that, put, that pales everything Lucifer is offering the earth right now. The, I mean, the song of beauty that sh- I mean, just shakes and rattles the hearts. Oh, I'm so jealous for our singers and musicians to not get their, their creative juices flowing by listening to the counterfeits. I'm so jealous for our singers and musicians to gaze on beauty and engage in the song and the sound around the throne and hear the melodies of heaven and enter into the spirit and get that zone of the throne flowing in their soul so that when they sing and when they play and when they release what God's put in their heart, they're releasing majesty and not just some rip from the latest hot band. I mean, come on. We get a vision for real beauty. I'm telling you, when we sing the songs of beauty from the throne of God, it will shock people. And we have set our aim way too low. 
There's so much available. Open access. Do you have any idea what that means? We have open access. Open access all the time to the epicenter of pleasure. 100% of your days in Jesus, you have open access to the beauty center of the universe. The beauty center of all created order. The majesty center. You have open access 100% of the seconds that you live in Christ. That is never not open for you. The enemy has woven intricate lies together and, and caused, not just the world, caused the church to believe that this thing is not available. And what I mean by this thing, I'm talking about beauty and pleasure. Beauty and pleasure. Think about how the enemy has so branded pleasure that nearly pleasure equals sin. I mean, just if you walk up into a conversation and just say pleasure, most people, I mean, many people will have a hard time knowing whether or not you're about to say something off. Because the enemy is so branded pleasure to equal sin, everybody's knee-jerk imagines pleasure's, you know, bad. In his presence is fullness of joy at his right hand, pleasures evermore. The pleasure epicenter of the entire created order is the throne of God. It doesn't get any higher and more intense in pleasure than God's throne room. The pleasure epicenter of the entire created order is the throne of God. And we have unlimited, full access all day, all night, every second that you've ever lived that you've been in Christ. Pleasure epicenter of the entire creation, God's throne. This thing is available. All the activity of the enemy. I'm just, I'm just so, uh, well, I don't, I'm provoked because I think of so many markets that live off of false beauty. I don't believe we would have human trafficking if the enemy hadn't succeeded in false beauty. I don't believe we'd have a pornography industry if the enemy hadn't succeeded in false beauty. If the enemy hadn't succeeded in false pleasure, we wouldn't have a drug cartel. Think about this now. We wouldn't have eating disorders, women trying to be beautiful, looking at false beauty. So many of the intricacies of the issues that we have today are built on a false beauty, a counterfeit beauty movement, a counterfeit beauty and pleasure movement. And so the enemy's got, he's got... Billions of people believing that real beauty and real pleasure is found through sinful means. And therefore, those who want to be beautiful and those who desire beauty, I mean, it's, it's virtually unanimous out there that beauty and pleasure are not found through holiness. I mean, if you took, 
a poll and you said, how do you get real pleasure? Or how do you gain real beauty? I mean, the percentage, we would be in the point oh 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 percentile that would say, through the beauty of holiness. Am I, am I communicating? And the enemy has done an, I mean, unbelievable job in, in, in deluding billions of people to believe that beauty and pleasure are exclusive from holiness. Yet holiness is beauty. Purity is beauty. I mean, if you've ever touched it just even a little bit, just the sensation of what justification does to your soul and that liberty, that that feeling of freedom and sin can't hold you anymore and and that filth of sin is, is, is cleansed from you and you just have that moment where you go, oh, this is righteousness. Man, that's different. That's different than anything you've ever touched in beauty and pleasure in the world, for sure, and you know it sensation of righteousness on your soul. You go, oh, I'm clean. It's nothing like it. We've barely scratched the surface on it. Let me give you this. This is for the, all the IHOPers studiers. Let me tell you something. Just because you know where the chapters are in the Bible that talk about beauty has no bearing on whether or not you have any revelation on those chapters. I don't care if you know Ezekiel 1, Revelation 4, Revelation 5. I, it just doesn't matter to me a bit. Daniel 7. You can walk right through them all. I don't really care. Because you know what I'm recognizing? I can name them all, but I don't know this. I do not know this because I'm convinced if I get the lens, not only will what comes out of my mouth change, the way I carry myself will change. So what's the devil done? He's woven this intricate lie. He's built it on presuppositions about God, and there's three of them. Here they are. The number one thing that people believe about God, he's boring. It's the number one thing. If it's God, it's going to be boring. If it's church, it's going to be lame. I am so pained over this point. If it's church, it's going to be lame. That is so not the reality of things. And unfortunately, we've, we've gone after low-bar Christianity. We've, we've produced a product. Mike calls it non-breakthrough. We've, the mass multiplication of non-breakthrough Christianity. Until people go to church and it's absolutely boring. And everybody's bored. The preacher's bored. The song leader's bored. The usher's bored. The kid is bored. The kid has dug his name in the back of the chair Gum is everywhere under the thing because, you know, it's just a game to see how many gums you can stick under the, the pew. I mean, this is crazy, gang. We have an uncreated God of glory, beauty, and infinite power. How is it boring when we get with him? How could that possibly be boring? It, 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 I mean, how? The reason why is because we've actually bought into the lie. And when we have boredom settle on our soul as believers... It's an indication we're we're believing this lie that beauty, majesty, pleasure, these things are not truly found in God. I want to detach from that lie. And whatever measure I believe God to be boring, I have got to repent of that. 
I've got to turn from that. And I've got to come back to the place where I go, no, he is the number one, most exciting, most pleasurable, most glorious, most mind-blowing one there is. And the most mind-blowing, glorious, pleasurable thing I can do is engage with that one. Period. It's not found in media. It's not found in some relationship. It's not found in any of these things. Now, God writes his signature on so many things. We see little whispers and hints of him throughout creation. But the the pinnacle of all of this is engaging face-to-face with that throne that you have full access to by the blood of Jesus. So that's the first zone of the lie. He, he, He gets people to believe, many, many in the church buy this, that God is boring. Secondly, they believe that real pleasure and beauty exists exclusive of God. Now think about that for a minute. If we actually think that pleasure exists in a higher way than in prayer, we're buying in to a deception of the enemy. Let's let's go ahead and uproot this one. Let's deal with this. I'm asking myself the question, do I believe that there is more pleasure and more beauty available to me through other means than there is available through going into the presence of God? Do I believe that? If I believe that, I've got to repent of that. Because He is the pinnacle of pleasure. He's the pinnacle of beauty. There are things in the earth that bear His image. For sure, that have his signature, that declare of his glory. I mean, the heavens declare of his glory. I mean, so many different things. But if I believe anything is a greater source of pleasure and beauty than him, I'm buying into a deception. Are you tracking me? And this is why I believe so many are drowning in false beauty. Because they've bought that lie. They believe God's boring, and they believe there's other means by which they can actually get pleasure and beauty. Real, they, they believe, I should say, there's other means by which they can get true pleasure and beauty. True pleasure and beauty does not exist apart from God. It only exists from God and in the, thing God manif- in the things God manifests himself. That's where true, true beauty is found. And then thirdly, and this is probably the one that many of you may deal with. The third intricacy of the lie the enemy tells is this that even if God is beautiful he's far away it's difficult to reach him difficult to engage with difficult to receive from and I just want to say this you have never had one you've never had another that wants you the way he wants you He wants to engage with you far, far more, infinitely more, I I could go on to say, than you've ever wanted to engage with him. He wants you. This lie that he's difficult to engage with, hard to approach, it's difficult to get there. Beloved, that's not real. Now, there are natural things that we, we have filled ourselves so many times with, 
you know, stuff that's made us sensitive to natural things and so that we need these natural stimuluses to, to move us. But I'll tell you what, when you begin to turn those things down, put yourself in a place of voluntary weakness and get your heart before God, man, the light comes on. Fire comes on. And I've found, I mean, and sometimes I'm great at this, sometimes I'm not, but I've found when I will dial down the input, I'm talking about all the avenues of input, you know, entertainment and media and social media and all, internet and all these different inputs. When I will dial those down, throw in a little fasting and prayer, get weak a little bit before God and put my heart out there and say, help, I need you. Lightning hits me. Lightnings come on my heart. It might take you a minute to, to sort of break your appetite because you know, you know how it is. It's like in any diet. If you're used to eating like McDonald's, you know, and, and uh, Sundays and grilled everything, you know, and you go, okay, I'm going to go on a good diet. I'm going to eat some broccoli. I'm going to go raw. I'm going to eat carrots, a little celery. I mean, you can last about half a morning. <laughs> about 9.30, you're like, anybody got a donut in their pocket? Because I'm serious that... Those grapes are amazing, but they're like burned off in like two seconds. I need some with a little girth. Anybody got a diet Krispy Kreme around here or something? The problem is you tune your appetite to a certain stimulus. And what's actually productive for you, what's actually productive for you, you don't have any appetite for that anymore. And so it seems like you're so hard to reach because we have our appetites tuned into fried food. Does that make sense? If we will, if we will, if we will dial it down, turn it off, unplug it, get unaddicted from our need for uh, you know entertainment input, all these different sources, avenues of you know. Stimuli. I mean, if we'll, if, we'll just, if we'll just go ruthless on that and let our hearts ache before God, it's a minute, and it may ache. It may be a pain for a minute. But let me ask you something. What six months do you end up with glory and light on you? What, I mean, what is six months of a little, ah, my soul is like needing input. What is six months if you end up with transcendent light upon you? If you, if you can drink of the well of transcendent majesty, it's where your soul's moving. What's six months of a little pain? I mean, just a little ache on your soul. I mean, it's, it's a little, it's a bummer, but it's not that bad. I've been through a couple seasons. It's not so bad. It's a little, uh, you feel a little bit unsettled, but you're retuning your appetite so that light and glory and majesty of the true kind is what your palate is is, is longing for, and you're getting disconnected from all these false beauty inputs. He lies to us. The enemy lies to us. He says, God's boring. He's hard to reach. And, and pleasure, real pleasure and, and excitement and beauty exists apart from God. It's not real. That's false. All that stuff is false. He's easily... The most enthralling. He's the only place true pleasure and beauty can be found. 
and he's wanted you more than you've ever wanted him. Now, you're in Psalm 50. I am on my third hour of introductions in this series. I'm serious. I'm still working off my outline from three weeks ago. We might do this all year. I'm serious. I'm so... I stood in a fourth year IHOPU class. I said, beauty and majesty. And I started talking. The presence of the Lord came down. People started manifesting. People were weeping. And I said, let's repent if we've allowed other things to, to grip our hearts with pleasure, beauty, and majesty. And it's IHOPU. And I'm not telling a story on IHOPU. I love IHOPU. But man, it, it moved the entire class. This is clearly the issue, gang. I hope you, those are the excellent ones. I love them. Okay. Psalm 50, verse 2. Let me give a little clarity to this verse. So I, co- I quote it, and I do it a little sloppily, and I want you to understand where I'm coming from when I say this verse. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Now, I often say God is the perfection of beauty, and I use this verse. But let me just be clear. And I know this, and so if you've known this, then just know that I've known it too, but I'm putting two and two together. So I say God's the perfection of beauty, and you could read it that way, but here's what virtually all the commentators will tell you is Zion is the perfection of beauty. And Jeremiah actually says that uh, in Lamentations, city that's the perfection of beauty. Another psalm actually ta- talks about uh, uh, um, Zion be the beautiful in elevation, these different ideas about Zion being the perfection of beauty. So the city is what's called the perfection of beauty, even in this phrase, out of Zion... The city, you could say it this way, the city that's the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Now, here's my point. The reason why the city gets the name, the perfection of beauty is because the one who is the definer, who is the perfection of beauty, dwells there. So, we can say then, God is the perfection of beauty. He's just so powerful in beauty and majesty that where he lives is also the perfection of beauty. The point is, he's got a zone around him that infects everything with beauty and majesty and glory. Yeah, he has a zone around him that is so potent because it's full of what's coming out of his being that everything around him is transformed into perfect beauty. That's why when you gaze on him, you are transformed into the same image, even from glory to glory. Even perceiving him has transformational quality. We got to get this. He is so magnificent in splendor and majesty. He is so magnificent in glory. There is such unleashed, aggressive, glorious beauty and pleasure effusing out of God that it is absolutely contagious to the environment around him. Wherever he goes, it's beauty and glory. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Why is it perfect in beauty? Because he's perfect in beauty. And the entire place is transformed by what comes off of him. 
transformed by what comes off of you. Now you and I, not even touch this. Because if we'll go into that throne, it will transform us. Moses looked at his back and his face shone continuously. And that's nothing compared to what we've got. Every second you've ever lived in Christ, you've had full access to the throne. (sighs) Out of Zion, the one who is the perfection of beauty, that's where he lives. He shines. This is going to be so intense. Because the psalmist in Psalm 15 and Psalm 48 are giving us a millennial picture. But this is how intense it will be. Psalm 48 verse 1 says it this way. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north. It's the city of the great King. God is in her palaces. He is known as her refuge. When you go down and read through there and in Psalm 50, it talks about when the kings of the earth pass by and they gaze on Zion. They see the majestic glory of God that has completely infected the entire zone of Zion. They are terrified. They see it and they're overwhelmed. Oh, it's majestic. Oh, it's terrifying. And they actually run. you have any idea who we're dealing with? This is our God. This is our God. All right, I'm, I'm just going to close. Gang, this is what life is about. You're made to engage God. You're made to engage beauty. You're made to engage majesty. You're made to soar. Your soul is constructed to soar. It's constructed to fly. And I I just, I want to propose the reason why we live so dull and dry and so disconnected. It's because we're drinking of the wrong source. And false beauty is flooding our mind and flooding our eye gates and our ear gates and we are drinking of false beauty and we're measuring ourselves by that one and we're gazing on that one and we want that exciting experience. Why? Because we haven't seen the one who is the exciting experience. We haven't seen the one who is majesty and glory. This is what we are made for. David, he, he figured it out on this side. Even as a young man, he figured out there's only one thing that I want. And it's not human accolades. It's not armies. It's not lands. It's not riches. It's not concubines. It's not wives. I don't want any of these things. I don't want silk, purple, gold. I don't want silver bars. I don't want palaces. I want beauty. I want beauty. I want to gaze on beauty. That's what he wants. We've got to get this. I want majesty. You're made for more than money. 
You're made for more than money. How many people are bought off by six figures? They live all their days gazing on what can make them six figures. Are you kidding me? Infinite worth is available. And they're bought off by six figures. And they sell their soul and their life and their time for six figures. Gazing on that which will not satisfy. There's nothing wrong with six figures. Get twelve figures. But don't make it the primary pursuit of your life. You've got infinite worth and glory and majesty that will thrill your soul forever. Available if you'll just say yes. It's available. Look, this might sound like complete crazy stuff. I'm convinced. When we get there and we see him for the first time, from this side, what I'm saying may sound stupid. From that side, what I'm saying will sound like 101 elementary. Sound like kindergartner. It's what we're made for. We have to live too low, too dull, too blind, too much drowning on false beauty, gang. Discern it. I mean, you can. You can discern it. And I feel like the Lord just wanted me to call it out tonight. There's a false beauty movement in the earth. The enemy is ramming down our throats, ramming in our eyes, ramming in our ears to calibrate us to a completely different rhythm. There's a rhythm of heaven and a beauty of heaven and a majesty of heaven that we're supposed to be tuned to and live by. Because this is where this thing's going. This is where it's going. It's about the worship of the nations. And men and women will worship what they find beautiful. That's, That's it. It's where this is going. In that day, the Lord Almighty will be glorious. A glorious crown, a beautiful wreath for the remnant of His people. Isaiah 33, 17. Your eyes. Touch your eyes. Put your hands on your eyes. Your eyes. Those eyes. Your eyes will see. You will see the King in His beauty. You're on a collision course with majesty that will shock you for eternity. Why not go in now? Your eyes will see Him. This is coming. And when we see Him, we'll be like Him. Why? Because the infectious nature of glory. When you see Him, you'll be transformed. I love how John says it. He goes, it's not clear what will become. That's how he says it. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But I do know this, his majesty is so overwhelmingly powerful and infectious that when you see him, something's going to happen to you. You'll be like him. I don't know what that is. I might do a little bit, but not really. Your eyes will see the king and his beauty. Isaiah 42, I mean Isaiah 4 verse 2, this is it. In that day, the branch, that one that's become human, that one that had no comeliness, that we should 
desire him. He became a root, a branch. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. We're on a collision course with that encounter. But beloved, we've got to comprehend this. We have entrance now. You're made to live on this. Beauty and majesty and glory. That's why humanity has given its, I mean, it's given its wealth, its heart, its soul for beauty. You don't think you're motivated by beauty, then why has humanity sold its soul for beauty and pleasure? Gang, this is what we've got to do. We've got to shut off all those vows of false beauty, discern the truth of those things, and engage the truth of who God is, see Him as He is, and allow beauty to infect our soul and transform us. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. just going to keep hitting this. We're going to keep going at this. I know I'm an intense and a little aggressive. I'm, I feel this way about my own soul. I don't feel ruthless or mad or angry. I just feel like, oh, there's so much available and I want it. I want what's available. He's made so much available. He stooped and bent and bowed. The uncreated God has bowed and humiliated himself to engage with us. We're made to interface with heaven, with God. We're made to interface with beauty. And we're drowning, we're choking on that which is not beauty, that which is not glory. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.